All right. We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. We're going to be looking today at verses 9 through 14. But before we get to today's text, I want us to consider some of the things that we have looked at up until this point, this Sunday, just from Hebrews 13. As we come together uh, week in and week out, as we've gotten into chapter 13, we've talked about and we mentioned last week how chapter 13 is a lot of imperatives. It's in light of all of these things, do this or live this way. And so just to consider some of those things that we've looked at so far in chapter 13, we're encouraged or we're commanded or we're challenged not to be idle in the body of Christ, in the local church. Let brotherly love continue. That's active, right? That's something we were commanded to be doing. Don't be idle in society, we're, we're told here in chapter 13. Remember the mistreated. Be hospitable. We're called to not be idle at home, whether it's with our spouse or with our money. We're called to remember our leaders, to imitate their faith. Now, that's just the first seven verses of chapter 13. And if we're, if we're honest, maybe, maybe we've come this morning and honestly would say, I haven't even considered any of the things that I've been called to thus far in Hebrews 13. I haven't done a single thing in response to those passages. And the question is, what then? What is our hope? What is the hope for us in that? And we're going to address that from the text as we come to it this morning. Hebrews 13, verses 9 through 14. Stand together and follow along as I read. Beginning with verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high spirit as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for entrusting it to us, Lord. Your word is truth. We pray that you would help us by it, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, that you take your word, plant it in our hearts, that our hearts would be receptive, that it would be good soil for the seed of the word to grow. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Grace. Be strengthened by grace. As we look at imperatives that we're given and 
things that we tend to neglect. It's not at all saying, oh, it's okay whether or not you've obeyed. God doesn't care. It's not saying that. What the text says to us today is we need to be strengthened by grace. I want to confess to you this morning, I've been looking forward to this particular text since I found out we were going through the book of Hebrews. I've heard many, many sermons over the years, particularly on verse 13. I've never preached on verse 13 before. I've mentioned it in sermons. But I was looking forward to this text. However, I didn't realize how debated and, frankly, difficult portions of this text are. Let me give you a a quote from one pastor and commentator who says what most commentators say of this text. Verses 10 through 14 are among the most difficult in the book of Hebrews. They are subject to many interpretations and applications, and I do not want to be dogmatic in the views I present. Now, let me agree with this pastor here. I didn't anticipate the debate on the text as I approached it. It has felt like hitting a wall over and over again, to be honest, this week with some of it. And so I don't want to be dogmatic. I want to highlight what I think is most helpful, what is needed for us, what is clear. I'm going to do that the best that I can. Verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Now, this is being contrasted with what has been written already in verse 8. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He never changes. And therefore, His Word is everlasting. It never changes. His teaching never changes. And so, we ought to be careful and we ought to be close to Him. Don't be led away. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. We talked last week about Ephesians 4 and how we are to grow up in Him, into Christ, so that we are not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We're not just led away. We're not just led astray because something sounds good. Is it true? Is it biblical? Be careful. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And it seems as if the writer is referring to something specific that was happening at that time that had to do with food. We don't know exactly what it was. There's a lot of speculation on that. But in the end, we, we're not told. It's possible, if we look ahead to verses 15 and 16, that it's referring to the Old Testament food laws. That's possible. And that's one view. However, that seems unlikely because of the words diverse and strange teachings. That this is likely something that's happening in the present time that this is written. 
Whatever he's referring to, he's contrasting the Christian life, the Christian community with those outside of it. And it seems as if there are some who are seeking spiritual advancement or spiritual commendation by their diet, by what they eat or by what they don't eat. Some sort of spirituality given to eating certain foods or not eating certain foods. But we know that is not how those who are in Christ are commended. The writer here is saying, rather, we're strengthened by grace. We're fed by grace. We grow through grace. In fact, look at how he words it. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Don't be led away by things like that, material things, false things. Those who seek to be strengthened by food or any other material thing will find themselves empty. It, it doesn't benefit those devoted to them, he says. It's pointless, it's not helpful for the heart. Now, what is helpful? The reality of grace. The knowledge of grace. Embracing grace. The remembrance of grace. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now, here is one of the most difficult verses in our text, according to this commentator in the book of Hebrews. So does this refer to Old Testament sacrifices? That doesn't seem to make sense in the context, but some hold to that. There are some also who look at this and, and hold that it refers to the Lord's Supper, that this altar is the altar of communion, the bread and the cup. That the altar we approach is here, the bread and the cup, which is held against the Old Testament Levitical food laws. I don't think that is the writer's meaning here. Consider, what is our altar? Our only altar, how we come to God. Our altar is always and only through the cross on which Christ offered himself. That is our sacrifice. That alone is our sacrifice. And that is what I think the writer is meaning here. That we as followers of Christ must be strengthened by grace. We must be strengthened by grace. That a knowledge of his grace won't sustain us. A knowledge of the gospel will not feed us enough to strengthen us. That we must remember and embrace the truth of the gospel. To know and embrace, embrace and walk in the truth that Jesus made a way for us, that he was our sacrifice that nothing that we could do would ever suffice. 
When we seek strength from other things, we lose heart. We lose sight of the goal, which is Christ. Even when those other things are good things, Paul mentions this in 1 Timothy 4.4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And he says in the context of that, that includes food. But those, that's secondary. It's grace that strengthens us. It's because of grace that we can, we can be thankful for all of these secondary things. We can rejoice in those things. But it's grace that gives us strength. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. He goes on in verse 11, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now here the writer is making reference to the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. There is a... There's a a complete redoing of covenant here, complete break between Levitical and Christian worship. In the Old System, in the Old Testament, animals would be killed outside the camp. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27, the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. The blood of those animals that were sacrificed had to be brought to the door of the tabernacle and offered to the Lord. That goes on later in Leviticus 17, beginning with verse 3. If any one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It's a very specific command. The emphasis here in verse 11 is that the killing of some animals, especially burning their bodies, took place outside the camp. And that was a foreshadow. It was a picture ahead of time, in other words. It told something. It said something. We see what it was pointing to in verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus suffered outside the gate. The killing of animals outside the gate was a foreshadowing of the death of Jesus outside the walls of Jerusalem. Now think about how significant that is. What was outside the gate? What was unclean? The unclean, literally nothing unclean could come in. If someone had leprosy, they were put outside the camp. You remember that story in 2 Kings? of the lepers sitting outside the gate of the city. Why are they there during this famine? They're just, they're sitting there starving to death. Why are they there in the midst of the famine? Because they weren't allowed inside the city. They were unclean. And Jesus went to the unclean. Jesus went outside the gate 
Jesus went to the unclean. Do you know what strengthens the heart of a believer? That news. When we embrace that kind of news, that is strengthening, that Jesus suffered outside the gate. Why? The writer tells us to sanctify. It's the unclean that need to be sanctified. And Jesus went to do that, to sanctify the people through his own blood, to make them holy. That's what that means, to make them pure. Those who who couldn't before get to God, they were not acceptable to come into the temple. They were not acceptable to come before God. And Jesus goes to make them acceptable. That is amazing grace, and it's about you, and it's about me. We are the unclean. Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, those who are unclean. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, that our condition was hopeless. We were not holy. We were not righteous. We were not clean. We were the unclean. But Jesus went outside the gate to the unclean and sacrificed himself, suffered for us. Why? To sanctify us, to make us holy, to make us pure. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So what do we do with 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 an embracing of that grace, how do we respond? Verse 13, Therefore, in light of that truth, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. If that's true, if we were hopelessly lost and Christ endured a suffering that we could never endure for us to clean us, then let us follow him there. Let us imitate Christ. Let us go to him outside the camp. Those who are in Christ, those who know his grace, ought to be willing to go where he went, to the unclean, and to suffer what he suffered, to endure, and bear the reproach that he endured. There are consequences, it tells us here. There are consequences to going to him outside the camp. In verse 13, the consequence is negative. In light of this truth, in light of grace, in light of the gospel, in light of the cross, let's go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. That's, a, that's a, in a sense, a negative consequence. It was, it was probably scary outside the camp for Jews. 
Outside the walls of Jerusalem, the city was safe. The temple, the temple was there. But honestly, even though we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are the temple, God dwells in us. There's not a, a location that we have to go to to be with Him. He's, he dwells in us. We are the temple. We, we can feel the same kinds of fears when we, when we read verses like this. It's safe in our Christian circles. But the point the text is making, or at least one of the points this text is making, is we should willingly go and endure the approach that Christ endured because of his grace, because we're strengthened by his grace, because we believe in his grace. Another way of understanding this in our everyday lives is being set apart from the world. John MacArthur writes this. The believer should be outside the camp of the world, no longer a part of its system, standards, and practices. This is what Jesus did, pictured supremely in the crucifixion, which was outside the city gates. It is a picture of Christians following their Lord, separating themselves from the things of sin. As our Lord was crucified outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem, so we are to be spiritually outside the walls of sinning people. We're to be separate from the world. I think that there's application in both of those views here. That we are called to be set apart in how we live just as Christ was set apart from the world in how he lived. And that includes willingly going where we know that we will face reproach just as he did. Living in a way that we bear the reproach that he endured. Now again, that for some of us may be scary, that may be hard. And for the fear that we may fear, we go back to verse 9. We need to be strengthened by grace. That our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in what we are able to do. Our hope is in Christ and what he did for us. And we ought to know what grace means for us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor the powers, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace is an embracing of that truth, knowing, knowing that He saved us and He keeps us. He has us. That He bought us and He keeps us. So yes, there's a, there's a negative consequence. Let's go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. But there's also a positive consequence. For here we have no lasting city. Verse 14. But we seek the city that is to come. This world and the reproach we face is temporary. There's a brighter day, a brighter forever that is coming. We as as those who are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 are seeking a city that is to come. This is not our final home as we know it now. That He's going to make all things new. That He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth that will be perfect, that will be sinless, that will be tearless, that will be deathless. That's why Paul can say with with confidence in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, if you read the context of what Paul is saying there, many of us would read the things that he's explaining and say, that doesn't sound light. That sounds really scary and really, really hard. But his perspective is this. This is going to pass. This is temporary. And far more than that, it's absolutely worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. And so we don't lose heart. Even though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We seek an everlasting city. Grace. Grace saves us from beginning to end. Grace keeps us saved. Grace gives us life everlasting. Grace strengthens us to know that we will make it. No matter what we face, no matter how bright or dark the day, there is a brighter day coming, the writer of Hebrews is saying. When you consider grace, 
We consider the cross. We consider what Christ endured on our behalf, that he was worthy of praise and glory and honor forever and ever and ever. And he laid down his life, took upon himself what only we deserve, chastisement and punishment that we deserve. As you consider that truth, what does it do for your heart that he did that for you? Are you strengthened by that or are you used to that? Each week we go into a time where we take a piece of bread and we drink from a small cup. I mentioned earlier that some think of the altar in this text as the communion table. I don't think that's the case. However, it is a means that the Lord gives to us to remember His grace, to really think, contemplate His grace. It's a place where we remember and where we interact with grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? I've I've mentioned several times that word participation is, is the same word for fellowship. This fellowship with the body and blood of Christ, with the person of Jesus. We have this unique fellowship with each other in Christ and with Christ. And when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we're aligning ourselves with Christ who suffered outside the camp. We align ourselves with Him, with who He is and with what He did. That's one of the reasons we encourage you to consider whether you are in Christ or not. And if you don't know him, if you don't have a relationship with him, then just let the bread and the cup pass. Honestly, you wouldn't want to say that you align with him by taking the bread and the cup. And so we, we encourage you to consider Christ, consider his grace, and surrender your life to him. But if you do know him, then as you hold the bread and hold the cup, remember. Be strengthened by grace. Consider his grace. Consider his sacrifice. I want us to take some moments and just contemplate grace. This is grace as told by the prophet Isaiah. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet 
we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. that is displayed fully and only through your Son, through the cross. Jesus, that you would lay down your life, that you would come to a people like us, sinful, broken transgressors, desperate, desperate, for you to intervene, hopeless without your love. And you came willingly, and you came lovingly, you came full of grace and full of truth, and you laid down your life. You were punished on our behalf. And Lord, we confess, we take that for granted every single day. Pray that you would help us to be strengthened by your grace today. We'd be a people who look to your word and respond to your word. That we would go outside the gate where you are and bear the reproach that you endured, looking to a city that is to come that you would help us be a people of grace who display your grace to a world that is just as desperate as we were for it. And that you be glorified through it. Even as we hold the bread and hold the cup, Lord, we pray that you would impress on our hearts again 
grace. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.